good, <clears throat> good morning to each of you. You welcome the visitors, and I would say I uh, feel like a visitor. Uh, we don't come unless I preach. And so uh, maybe in some ways we don't come enough, but I'd say most of your faces I don't see very often at our church. So It is a blessing to be able to be together with our brothers and sisters. Um, it's also nice to come in April and enjoy the, the beautiful azaleas that are more prolific and numerous down here than we have. But uh, as we're here today, I trust that we can be encouraged, as we have been, to be better servants. And the verse that came to my mind as we were looking at that Sunday school lesson was from Luke 17, where they asked to have their, the disciples asked to have their faith increased. And I didn't look at the whole context there much, but, but Jesus gave the, the little illustration. He said, if you have a servant that's out working, and he comes in and he's tired, you tell him to go sit down and eat? Or do you tell him, you fix my supper first, and I'll eat? And that servant will do that, and then he'll say, I just did my job. So I had to think of that. Why do we serve? Do we serve so that we can sit down and eat, or do we serve because that's just what we're supposed to do? My children don't exactly look forward to going to different churches, strange churches, and it, it's a bit of a, of a stretch. And I say, well, I tell one of them, you know, at least they can sit down on the bench. They don't have to stand up in front of all of them and talk. I appreciate your prayers. I found out that plain people as we would be called by many, have a reputation. Would you agree? I was talking with someone on the phone some time ago. I had some wheat that I grew a small bit that I was getting clean, needed to get cleaned for a, a baker to use. And in the course of the conversation, he said, so are you a Mennonite? And I said, well, yes, I am. And a little bit later, he had a statement, something along the line of, well, your middle name must be work then. Evidently, Mennonites in general are known by a strong work ethic. Is that good? Well, if you turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, There's two verses here that would indicate, I believe, that that is a very good thing. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, In that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye may have lack of nothing. So go to work ethic, providing for yourself, being diligent. Not a moocher, not just pestering other people. 
In Romans 12, verse 11, it says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Or the New King James says, Not lagging in diligence. Being diligent in your work. Fulfilling, doing your job well. And we are taught to work hard, to do a good job. That song we just sang talked about that. Serving, working, laboring to provide for ourselves. It's part of God's order. But to what end are we working? What's the goal of work? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 has this to say. It says, let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Well, before we just read that you were to labor with your own hands so that you would have lack of nothing. And here's a step further. Not only do we labor to have lack of nothing, but we also labor to help, to give. Later... In my interaction with this man, I was sitting at his lunch table, and he asked me, so what is the Mennonite Amish view of money? Remember, he said, your middle name must be hard work. What is your view of money? I'll interject here that when I got to his place, right in the introductory comments of meeting him, he said, so you are a Mennonite, right? And I said, well, yes, I am. I said, and, and if I'm a Mennonite, what are you? He said, confused. Um, he was a, a religious man from Switzerland, I believe, and came over to the United States, went to church some, but the, the megachurch mentality of, of empire building and money chased him from any exposure, further exposure to the gospel. It, it really turned him off was the, the thing for money, money, money. Now, I, I could sense he had something when he asked this question, what is the Mennonite view of money? That there was something that, that had, had caused him an issue. He went on to tell me a, a story a bit of someone that he had worked with in, in business that had quoted him a price for a fertilizer product and he did some investigating and he could buy the same thing for less than half the price directly from the supplier and he said I'm not opposed to a man marking up a product it's only fair but to, to mark it up a hundred percent for a, a three-minute phone call he said I, I just sense that there's money rates pretty high turn with me if you would to James Chapter 5. The title of the message is The Witness of Our Treasure. And you will see that idea in verse 3. James chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. 
Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. We see here that our treasure will witness against us. If it is ill-gotten, perhaps, or inappropriately used. And firstly, I'd just like to think there's a couple aspects of this witness. And, and one is that how we use our money is noticed by those around us. Our attitude toward money, our desire for it, maybe we don't have it, but we are pursuing it. People notice that. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, some general admonition that Peter gives. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Ideally, our lives are a true representation of a stranger and a pilgrim. And most strangers and pilgrims aren't hoarding treasure. A pilgrim is on his way somewhere and wants to travel light. Just another verse in Colossians. An encouragement to verse 5. Colossians 4, verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So, think about what we do and what a witness testimony it leaves. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 7, speaking of the qualifications of a, of a leader, it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without lest he fall into reproach in a snare of the devil. As this man made evident, people are watching. People take notice of your attitude toward stuff. That is one witness of our treasure. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I find it hard sometimes to understand why God created us like He has and, and made things as He did because we all have to deal with our physical needs. As I said, we do work with our hands. We all have to work. We all have to handle money to some degree or another. We're responsible for that. And yet, money, possessions, it can be some other things. We all have that tension that struggle between what's enough, what am I satisfied with, the desire for more. So I think it's a constant tension that most of us live in, and it's something that 
I think about frequently, and maybe too frequently, is I have to check my attitude. I can look around at others and see what they have, and I can become dissatisfied. But let's read here in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness." If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here's another instance of where our treasure will witness. Where our treasure is will witness as to where our heart is. You know, we, we literally, we try to take Jesus literally what he said. There's many scriptures that we hold up and we say, yes, this is super important. What Jesus taught about divorce, swearing of oaths, anger. What about money? What about possessions? What about treasure? Say we're not to lay it up. That where our treasure is indicates where our heart is. You can say, well, I have treasure, but my heart's not in it. But Jesus said that's not how it works. The real test is where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. But we see here you cannot serve God and mammon. And I see point number two is that a trust in possessions will take a place of trust in God. And we'll see that further in some other other examples. But you know, we all like to be self-sufficient. And as a provider for my family, I like to know where things are at. I like to know that we'll have enough money to cover the needs, to cover the expenses. I want security. I want, I want stability. But sometimes that becomes a goal rather than depending on God and trusting God and having faith that God knows and God provides. Yes, I can't be a slacker, but what, what is my attitude? But isn't it interesting that our money says in God we trust on it? Do you know that's what your money says on it? Do you trust in God or your money? I have a little object lesson and I need a volunteer about eight years old. Can I have a volunteer to come up here and, and help? Surely there's a brave soul. All right, thank you. So what I want you to do first, 
we're going to pretend that this, is, this jar is heaven. And I need you to take your hand and put it in the jar. Can you do that? You've got to, ah, see, her hand goes right in that jar. All right, take it out. Get it out. Now, I want you to get as big a handful of that as you can. Get a big old handful. All right, turn it up so you can hold as much as you can. All right, now, can you get your hand in there? Don't let any money out. No, it doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't work. There's a reward for your, your bravery. That's what I needed from you. <laughs> All right, did anybody see anything there that uh, has some practical implications? A handful of something kept her out of the jar. That grasp. Psalm 62.10 says, Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Don't hold on to them. Riches aren't a bad thing. But if they come, don't let them become your focus. Turn to Mark 10. It's a lengthy, fairly lengthy story here that Jesus told and gave some commentary on. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none Good, but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away greed, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And I'll just pause there. If you look in the Old Testament, what was often pronounced as the blessing for following the commandments of God? Security, stability, and wealth. Right? General principle. You will be in the land, you'll live comfortably in the land, you'll have plenty to eat, I'll put your enemies away, you will have possessions. You'll possess the land. And so see here when Jesus says those that have riches will have a hard time entering, wait a minute here, you're saying that, that physical blessings are a hindrance? So you can understand maybe some of their astonishment here. But then he says how hard it is for them that trust in riches. 
that set their heart on them. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Now some would say that this camel going through the eye of a needle, it was a certain gate that a camel had to get down on its knees and take the pack off its back, so see you had to get rid of everything. But the camel could go through. But if that was the case, and I haven't done all the research into it, but commentators vary greatly. But I I tend to agree with with one that had this perspective. They were astonished out of measure and said, it's impossible. It's impossible. Because a camel can't go through the eye of the needle. So who can be saved? And the answer is that with riches... It's very difficult. Because our tendency is to trust in them rather than God. But God is able. With God, all things are possible. We can have possessions and enter the kingdom, but it is hard. And we have to be diligent to keep our heart pure. If we go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, some very good admonition here again. Paul is giving Timothy these words, and I'm going to try to jump in in verse 5, speaking about false teachers, and he says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, notice the, the heart, the eye there, that, that eye that is, that is not single toward God, but that eye that is set on riches, they that will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Be careful about those that set the standard of of prosperity equal to godliness. Gain does not equal godliness. But godliness with contentment is great gain. A love of, love of money starts down a path. Job understood this. It's interesting, Job was a very wealthy man says he was one of the greatest men of the East. He had a tremendous amount of, of wealth, of treasure. But one day, it appears, it was all taken from him. And he had this to say in Job 1, verse 20 to 22. 
Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You see, Job's heart was not on his stuff. Nowhere was he condemned for being a wealthy man. But then if we go to chapter 31, there's five verses there where he in his, in his defense before his friends says this, If I have made gold my hope, or have said to find gold, thou art my confidence. You see, he's saying, if I put my, my confidence, my, my security in these things, going on to verse 25 of Job 31, if I rejoiced because my wealth was great, and because mine hand had gotten much, if I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, and my mouth hath kissed my hand, so if I was worshiping the creation more than the creator, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. I just see there that he's, he's reiterating that I am pure because I, I did not put my trust in my wealth, in my ability to gain and to have. And I just want to challenge each of us, what are you trusting in? What am I trusting in? What, where is our security? Because a trust in things, it may not be a big savings account, it may just having three freezers full of food. It can be something little that you really hold dear. that takes the place of faith. All right, I need another volunteer. This in any age works. If it's eight or 80, it doesn't really matter. All right. I don't know names here, so I can't call on people. All right, so you get in there and you grab a handful of those coins. Just a handful. Is that as full as you can get it? Pretty much? All right, now I want you to, to slowly hold, keep it in your hand, but open your hand up a little bit. Now open your fingers on up. Now keep keeping together so that not much money runs through because we don't want it to run through. That's about what he had. Now come over here a little bit so they can see. That's about what he had. Now... Pull your fingers up just a little bit, close it up just a little bit, make a cup. I'm not counting, but I've added about 15 or 20 percent to what's in his hand, right? I added another little handful. All right, you can dump it back in, and you can have that for your reward. <laughs> And that little illustration is that when we clench onto it, an attitude of greediness or selfishness actually limits us. Our hand holds more when we open it up. 
The Lord hath given, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The attitude. An attitude, point number three, an attitude of greediness or selfishness actually limits us. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, beginning of verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. I don't believe that the large harvest was a curse from God. It was a blessing. It was, a, it was, it was a, the blessing of God to have a large harvest. I don't think it was even the building a bigger barn to help take care of it was the problem. If you have a large crop of grain, you want to store it in a bin so you can sell it, take care of it. But I think it was the attitude that came along with it. I've got this. I'm going to use this for my personal pleasure. I don't, I, my needs are met. My wants are met. All mine for my pleasure. Tight hand. It's mine. In 1 Timothy, again in chapter 6, a few verses from where we were. Paul tells Timothy, verse 17, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And this is what you should tell them to do. They do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This ready to distribute or ready to give, willing to share, that open hand, and we see that the fourth point, God is pleased with, with generosity, with giving, a heart that wants to share. After all, we all know that verse very well. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Should we not give what He has given us? And you see here, it says when we give, when we, we were serving, doing good, rich in good works, that we lay up a store. There's that treasure going ahead to be a witness of where our heart is. 
that treasure that will witness like we want it to witness. In Matthew 6 again, this time verses 1 to 4, Jesus says that we should take heed. Take heed that ye do not your alms or your giving before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Generosity, giving, not to receive glory and praise and people thinking we're something that we have to give so God can bless us and God can use us to bless other people. Here again, an attitude is more important perhaps than, than how much. And we see that very distinctly in Mark chapter 12. And it would be point number five. How much we give is not as important as how we give it and why we give it. Mark chapter 12 I'll just, I'll just tell this. You know, Jesus and his disciples were sitting in the, in the temple close to the, the money box where people came and put in money. And it was a, a poor widow. And she came and she put two mites, it says, two coins. Wasn't much. It didn't make much clink when it went in. And then they saw the other people coming and some of them probably brought their... their bag and it had a lot in it and they probably made a show my guess is that it was it was something that they would kind of just a a ritual that they would come and put their their money in and jangle and Jesus called his disciples and said look here he said those men pouring those bags of money in have not put in near as much as that lady that just put two coins in now would that was that true in terms of dollar amount, no. But in terms of what it cost and what God saw in that service, it was much more. She gave all she had, even all her living. And I don't believe that here Jesus was commanding that you should have emptied your wallet and your savings account and the offering plate as it passed this morning. He's not commanding to give it all. But what's the attitude behind it? Is it mine or is it God's? If you would turn to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 8. Verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted. According to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, 
but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply for their want, that their abundance may also supply for your want, that there may be equality. He's talking about sharing with those in need. And he says, you aren't supposed to give more than you have. But if you have, be willing to share. The idea is that when you have a need, other people can share with you. When they have a need, you be willing to share with them. And in Acts 11, uh, there was one that came and said that there was going to be a, a drought. And then it says in verse 29 that the disciples, every man according to his ability. Those who had a lot probably gave a lot. Those who didn't have much might not have been as much, but they could spare a little bit. And they gave and they sent relief to the brethren in Judea. I'll just mention here that as you think about giving, it's interesting as you look at some of this, this concept of giving, and we have our offerings here, our offering schedule, um, a lot of places you can give to CAM and whatnot, but we do have our offering schedule, and on there there's, there's a brotherhood aid and there's ministerial aid. And have you ever wondered, well, why do we do that? But you know it's scriptural. It's interesting that uh, that brotherhood aid, what I just said, they sent to the brethren at Judea. That was a form of brotherhood aid. There were needs. And in Romans 15.25, there are these verses. It says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty also is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed unto them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. So he's saying those, one part of the, of the church saw that they had need back in Jerusalem and they sent money. And... Later here in, in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches in Galatia, even so do ye on the first day of the week lay aside and give. That was a sharing within the church. And there's something I would, I would like to point out there that in Romans 15 it says, When I have sealed to them this fruit, the Jesus talked a lot in the apostles about being fruitful. And I'd just like to point out that this is one aspect of fruitfulness. Uh, I believe in, it's in Philippians 4. I don't have, have that here and didn't, didn't look it up. But it talks there about, about fruitfulness in this aspect as well, I believe. And it's one way that we bear fruit is by giving. Helping each other. But those two, two or three references there were for the saints that had need. But in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him in all good things. Communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. So let him that is taught communicate or give to him that teacheth. And that's the idea of, of the ministerial aid. And also in 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar. Even so hath God ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So 
that was, and Paul wrote these things. He also at times said, you should help those that are teaching, but I'm not going to take anything. And I don't spend my whole life preaching the gospel. The church doesn't salary me. But it is a blessing, and I want to bless you for sharing in a ministry of aid as a way to fulfill these, these commands and these instructions to help that way in giving. And it is appreciated. Lastly, I'd like to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I think most of you are probably there in 2 Corinthians. This passage, this chapter... He speaks a lot here in chapters 8 and 9 about, about giving, the attitude. But I'd like to just jump in here in verse 6 of chapter 9. It says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. The law of sowing and reaping applies to many areas of life. I don't know how many of you are planting garden, planting peas, planting potatoes, planting whatever. And you always expect to get more than you put in. Sowing and reaping happens in that natural sense. It also works in what we spend time on and what we feed on. It also works in how we give. And that's the context that this is in, is in giving. If you would go and read the chapter before and through here, what what you give, God wants to bring back. No, it may not come the exact way. But you look here in verse 8, and when someone pointed this out a number of years ago, it just was such a blessing. When you look at verse 7, and maybe you've heard this, but the word cheerful there, the Greek word is hilaros, which is very similar to where we get the word hilarious. And that has its own connotation to us. But the idea is that of, of perhaps overflowing, of, of just, I'm so happy to do this. God wants someone who is willing to give, cheerful giver. But then it says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. I think that's a promise that God will reward our giving. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to give $5 and then we'll get a $15 bonus or we'll give X amount in the offering and God's just going to fill our bank account. But there's a lot of ways that God wants to bless us. 
And I think how we handle our treasure, how we think about our treasure, will influence how God can bless us. If we set our eyes on our stuff instead of on Him, we're going to be the ones that suffer. If you want a blessing, be a blessing. You know, I believe our treasure is a witness and will be a witness. It is a witness to our neighbors. It will witness at the, at the end of time where our treasure is. What does it say about you today and what will it say about you when you stand before God? May we all use our treasure to His glory. Let's have a song.